says we're live, so I'm just going to go for it. Hey, Alan, welcome to uh, Stuck on Earth. Let me just give you a little background of what the hell am I doing on September 11th with no pants on. Um, I am. Why should this day be different than any other day? <laughs> well, I guess it's easy for you to say because you're out in uh, California. I'm talking about the pants, not the 11th. Oh, well, you know. I, think I was in New York on September 11, 2001, so I am, I understand it. It was a traumatic, I did not die, but it was a traumatic experience for me, and I did have a relative who passed away, and it's, it was, it's a, a somber day. Do you think that any subject can be made into a joke, or do you think there are limits as to what you can joke about? Yes, any subject can be made into a joke. Thank you. For instance, 9-11... Uh, early on, there was a roast, uh, only like a year or two after, maybe only a year after 9-11, there was a roast of Donald Trump. And a comedian, I can't remember which one, made the joke that uh, Trump was very upset about 9-11, but mostly because the terrorists didn't think his building was more important than the trade centers. So they should have flown the planes into Trump Tower and he would have felt better. If only he was in there. If only. Let me I'm not get saying that. I'm just saying. Get my little crystal. No, I get it. I get it. So uh, Alan Salkin is here today with me uh, live on September 11th. I'm in New York. He's in California. So what is Stuck on Earth? Well, last fall, I started to deeply miss radio broadcast. And for a little while, I worked with Leonard Lopate, uh, who has a wonderful show, and he's a wonderful human being. And, uh, you know, then I got caught up in a job and then had a surgery and then lost that job and then the pandemic and the civil rights movement and the curfew and the all of the things. And today uh, I'm back. So the original idea in the fall was to have this show called Stuck on Earth. And so I thought, well, gee, I always feel like I'm stuck here. Who am I stuck here with? Let me go through my phone contacts and scroll through and see who I can have an unscripted, uncensored conversation with for an hour. So I called Alan this morning from the toilet, full disclosure, and um, didn't flush. As I was saying, you do all your best. You do all no. You all do all your best work with no pants on. I'm sorry, but you just keep setting it up. Go on. You know what? Let me just pause everything and go to my LinkedIn and add that as uh, maybe they should have uh, badges, merit badges. So anyway, uh, stuck on Earth. It's kind of funny, but not funny that we ended up in a quarantine and lockdown situation. Not only here in New York, but also in California and different locations throughout the world that may or may not be more civilized than the United States of America right now. And Alan, I know, um, we're friends. How, I don't remember exactly how we met. I do remember meeting you once at a McDonald's on 6th Avenue. Or, yeah, 6th Avenue. Um, it's the first time I'd been to a McDonald's in a while. This show is not brought to you by McDonald's. But Alan and his friend Aaron Short uh, are both writers. And Alan penned a book called The Method to the Madness. Now the copy I have, and I did, full disclosure, transcribe a number of these interviews. Um, yes. And I'll let Alan dig into what the, the meat and potatoes, the Irish whiskey dick version of this book is about. But I have this copy and this is a different, let me see here. It, it says on the bottom, Donald Trump's ascent as told by those who were hired, fired, inspired, and inaugurated. No anonymous sources. I remember that was a 
a pretty big sticking point. Um, but then today when we spoke and I was on the toilet, um, we discovered that you decided to change the cover of the book. Is it because of his putrid face or was there another reason? So also for the sake of this uh, discussion and since it is partially on video, I'm just gonna take the cover off. We'll have a, a naked book for the day. So what happened with the cover? What, what's happening? Is that reversed or is that, and does that look right to you? And there are three of them. And are they reversed or are they reading No, properly? they're reading correctly. Okay. Um, that's the new cover. So, uh, there's the cover. So, hold on, let me get out of this screen. Um, it's funny, my hair doesn't do well with virtual backgrounds. So you're asking me about the cover, why the covers are different? Yeah. Well, I also want to make sure that this is streaming. Oh, hold on a second. We might not have been, hold on a minute. Something popped up. I'm just getting a couple of text messages here. Not only is my home a kitchen, a school, an orphanage, it's now a recording studio as well. So thank you, COVID, for um, adding more labor, invisible labor to my life as a female identifying homo sapien. I don't know. Let's see what Dan says. Hi, Dan. I don't know where Dan is. Dan? Anyone here? There is a chat feature that I can chat into. Uh, it worked when I tested it this morning, so hold on a second. Let's see what he says. That's I why this now. is... He says he sees us. He sees us. All right. So anyway, uh, the cover of the book was Trump... I had to peel the sticker off that was 20% off from Barnes and Noble, but um, oh, good. this is the original. And also tell me why the tagline on the book changed. The, I hate this, you know, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like you the book, you know, Aaron and I, first of all, Aaron Short and I worked at different times at the New York Post, which is obviously the, you know, the noisy city tabloid. I was in investigative reporter and also covered politics. I interviewed Trump, did a big piece about him in the year 99, 2000, about how he had really changed from being a builder to a guy who licensed his name to other people's projects. Um, and he cooperated and, you know, he was very helpful and friendly in that project. And Aaron, uh, had covered Trump's almost runs in 2012 and the lead up to the 2016 election. So we felt that there was a, uh, you know, a story that hadn't been told, which was about how uh, Trump had gotten himself, um, was had been serious about running for president for 20 or 30 years and had schooled himself uh, in media by reading the tabloids that we worked for because a lot of people I knew at the New York Post would get calls from Trump every day uh, especially in the gossip pages and you know he was great for headlines he knew how to speak um, tabloid he would dump gossip on you that was really juicy about other people and as you know he just wanted his name mentioned and he understood that this was great marketing and there was almost nothing you could say about him that wouldn't help his brand 
So I felt like a story starting there from the kind of education, the making of a president, starting in a way that no president has ever been made before, um, was a story worth telling. And so did Aaron. And that also we could tell a story, and this is, the, this is where we get back into the cover and how, that whole history, that we could tell a story, believe it or not, and most people don't believe it, uh, about Trump that was nonpartisan, that was actually nonpartisan journalism, that you can hate Trump, you can, and, and you can hate Trump's policies, you can hate everything he's trying to do, you can even hate how he's doing it and believe, um, as I do, that there's a lot of destructiveness in just his methods. Um, not even just to mention, you know, the choice of judges and the all everything else. So, but that you can feel all that and still in a way say, how did this guy do it? How did somebody like him who um, nobody had everything wrong with him uh, from the standpoint of a traditional candidate become president. Um, anyway, so, and almost, I have to say, um, there's almost, I hate to use the G, the G word, but there's almost a certain genius in what he achieved. So, okay, everyone can tune out now. I'm not going to, I'm no, not going to no, no. shit on Trump uh, in every possible way, just in a lot of ways. So, um, so, in writing our nonpartisan book, and in, in you know the way books work is you write a book proposal uh, for a nonfiction book, a sample chapter perhaps, and you bring it to your agent, and then she sends it around to publishers. So, we had a few uh, lesser offers to publish the book, but the 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 offer that was the you know the sort of most serious one from a big publisher came from an imprint of St. Martin's Press McMill, under Macmillan, the big conglomerate that owns it. Um, and the imprint was called All Points. In other words, it would come from all points on the political spectrum. The editor of this imprint is named Adam Bellow. Uh, he has since left the company. Adam is the son of the famous novelist Saul Bellow, okay. one of his sons. Um, but Adam's also well, far better known um, in publishing circles for being a publisher of conservative books. So even though I think Adam has moved away from sort of some of the, he was, he published a, a very controversial book called The Bell Curve, um, which a lot of people thought was racist. And so there's, a there's, um, he's done a lot of that side of the spectrum kind of books. But he has had declared that he now wanted to do books from all sides. So he was interested in our book because it was nonpartisan. And I think Adam is one of those Republicans who does not like Trump and thinks he's ruined things. So, and this is a long-winded answer, but I'm gonna just give a long-winded answer. Please. So, um, I think that internally, I think there's two things. Adam knows how to publish conservative books. And he looked and he said, a, the books, a lot of the books that have been bestsellers about Trump have Trump's face on the cover. Trump has built up the Trump brand. Let's put his face on the cover. Um, and let's make it look a certain way and almost market. And I think with internally, as much as St. Martin's, yes, like a thumbs up Trump. And I'm gonna, and, and, and I'll, I'll jump ahead for one second. Were those really his hands or were they made? 
those are his hands. Remember, they're closer to camera, so they look bigger. But um, hashtag size queen. Continue. The uh, the thing that that cover that uh, I've I recognized even when it was being discussed, but now completely understand is, for instance, on the New York City subway, you might as well be sitting there reading a copy of Jugs. Um, for the social acceptance of opening a book with Trump's fat face on it in the subway. Right. People, as, as we toured around, went to bookstores, people literally didn't even want to touch the book. Okay. So the book should be like, a book cover should be like a Hippocratic Oath. Wait, time Which, out. Does this mean my copy is worth more? Like it will one day sell for a lot of money on fans. Your copy is worth more because you're you actually worked on it, and I don't know if I signed that copy for you or not. No, but I, I signed it to send to you. You sent one to me. No, I'm going to sign this and send it to you. Okay, very good. I love it. Um, so anyway, the, I I, I, I protested that cover. I protested that cover. I didn't like it. I didn't think it was going to sell books, but ultimately, you know, it was it was a lot of hard work getting a book done in time that people thought oh, I could. Ramble yeah, I on. remember that you needed to have it done by November or something, right? I yes. don't remember the deadline. Yeah. Because That's even crazy. when we sold the book, we sold the book in uh, I think book. October of 2018. When did it come out? Yes. It was in the fall. No, October of 2017, we sold it to as a as a project. We hadn't written it yet, and that so now we're that's only about less than a year into Trump's presidency, and publishers at that time were saying, "There's no more room for any more Trump books. There's too many Trump books. They're not going to sell anymore," um, and so that we lost a lot of interest because of that, and so there was this sense like you've got to rush this thing because. He's going to suck so bad. People are going to hate him so much that no one, they're just going to move on and no one's going to be interested in Trump anymore, which I knew not to be true because Trump has been in the headlines for 40 years. And also time out. Your background, just for the viewers who may not know you, uh, you're a writer for Vanity Fair. You wrote for the New York Post. You, you're always- New York Times. New York Times, but also food. You cover the food beat. You know yeah. uh, the suicidal chef. What's his name? Yes. Sarma Melgalis, yeah. No, no, the other one who killed himself. Wasn't there oh, Anthony one? Bourdain, yeah, Bourdain. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you've been around and in the tabloid circuit uh, during the time when print media was still a living thing. Yes. Yes. I mean, we're not even talking about who I am, the normal. I'm just like jumping right into this well, drama. Time out. So, also, like, you just told me this morning while I was on the shitter that you bought a ranch. And so at first, yeah. to be honest, like I bought the he bought the farm, Kiki, he yeah. bought the farm. That means someone died. So yeah. what does bought the ranch mean? Is there? It means that by selling my walk-up tenement New York City apartment at exactly the right time, like two years ago before the crash or whatever's going on now, whatever you call it. Apocalypse, um, I think is the word. I made enough of a profit that I parlayed some of that money into buying a big, a piece of acreage on the outskirts of LA County um, up near Agua Dulce, uh, near a place called Vasquez Rocks, where they filmed like many episodes of Star Trek. And also where Tippi Hedren has, you know, Melanie Griffith's mother has a whole bunch of like a crazy famous wild animal ranch. 
She's like the Tiger King of her day. I'm looking out the window at my spread of acreage. It's many, many acres in it. So I bought a ranch, but I'm still, I'm actually- Just a little humble brat, humble yeah. brat. So, um, listen, you, you, there's plenty of land in America. Go buy some of it. So, um, anyway, to cut to, to try to cut to the chase on this, that was the cover that I was told and also assured by others um, who will go nameless that this cover will help the book get international sales. So what happened was the book came out with that cover because the marketing said, oh, we can sell this, it's a conservative, blah, 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 blah. And it didn't fucking work like I knew it wouldn't. This, this is cover, better, the corkscrew with the, I mean, I'm goth. And, and this is what goth. Aaron and I were, I keep interrupting, I'm sorry. No, it's fine, hey, we're friends. This is a friendly, unscripted, uncensored conversation. So okay, on. good, thank you. So. Have 39 more minutes of this. All right. I'll try not to make the answer to the first question an entire hour. But um, Aaron Short, my co-author, and I, and I'm Alan Salkin, um, tried to suggest illust an illustrator to for the cover originally, including the person who did this. His name is Adele Rodriguez. He's brilliant. He's done many, many uh, great Trump illustrations for Time Magazine and uh, even for Los Angeles Magazine. He did a later one for an article I wrote for Los Angeles Magazine about Trump's sort of failures in Hollywood. Um, so, and we, I also wanted this, uh, whatever his name is, Drew, who'd done a lot of the early New York Observer, those great sort of lurid New York Observer cover illustrations before Jared owned it. Um, and don't and remember, I, I wrote the first feature about Jared in the New York Times. So, Jared, um, Jared Kushner, Jared Kushner, to. not the diamond guy, not the subway guy. So, um, who was, uh, might be a better president is Jared, even though he's a pedophile. Oh, well, yeah. I guess you can be a pedophile in DC now and have a job. And, or well, I mean, there's, there's some, yeah, there's some idea that Trump. Yeah, so Jeffrey Epstein, et cetera. So um, what happened was I found as we were going around trying to sell the book and, you know, it got great reviews. Everybody who actually read the thing loved it, thought we'd really nail. We have all kinds of great, unique stuff in there. We have a producer from The Apprentice who talk, talks about the exact moment when Trump said the N-word. Hey, wait, 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 did microphone. you get married? What's on your finger? Uh, I think just my nails are too long. Oh my god! I, I thought it was I'm a wedding ring, and I was about. I'm to engaged. The whole show. I'm engaged. Oh, we're we're supposed to personal stuff in a minute. Time out. So I need to tell people this book is an oral history of the 16 years preceding Trump's declaration for presidency. So that has to be clear. This is an oral history. This, these interviews that I was transcribing for Alan. I mean, my eyes. You did a great started, job. Thank you. My eyes started twitching. I don't know if you know this or if this might have happened to you, but definitely in the Roger Stone interviews, especially my left eye, just like it started to feel like that, you know, and yeah. um, I just reached a point that it was like, these fuckers are liars and just awful people. And this is all before the house of cards fell. You know, you have yeah. amazing content and storytelling from these real life people no anonymous sources and there are registered so wait i just want to read one quick thing because uh it's a no don't go ahead no no no. just one thing so no, do it. um 
talking to my friend Dan, and we talked about how uh, his friends went the day after the election in, in 2016. Here in New York, it was like 9/11 after 9. /11. I was there. Yeah. And people were crying on the subway. I brought my son to the. I ate a restaurant. lot of sushi. Yeah, it was like me and Nicole Richie and her kids or kid at the Museum of Natural History. No one was there. Everyone was sad and crying. And it was a very strange day. So my friend put something on Facebook about, well, I, people were like, I don't know, how did this happen? Same thing here. I wasn't shocked. I knew he was going to be elected. I had a dream about it. I saw it in my dream. I don't care. I mean, I'm a witch. There's no secret. Happy September 11th. It's 50 days until Halloween, people. I had a dream about it. I saw that what was on the stage with the Trump and Putin. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, the signage and his son falling asleep on stage at three in the morning. I, I saw that before it happened. But most of the city, long story short, especially here in uh, liberal bleeding heart, brownstone, Brooklyn, people were shocked. And uh, my friend had put on Facebook, I, yeah, it's not good. I'm, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing, you know, it's not great that he got elected, but I understand why. And he lost those friends. They disowned him because of that Facebook post. But here's something I wanted to pull from the book to talk about. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, you might have uh, heard of this person before. He says this in the book. Uh, I go to do Morning Joe in early December, a month after Trump won. And Joe Scarborough was asking me, you and Trump know each other for years. Tell me about Donald Trump. I don't understand how he translated to these working class poor people. I said, Trump is an outer borough guy who was never accepted by the real estate moguls and downtown barons of that industry. So he always had a chip on his shoulder. He felt that they looked down on him and his father. And you'd have to be a New Yorker to understand an outer borough status. And I'd like to talk to like Q-Tip about this being from Jamaica, Queens. I had it double, this is Sharpton. I had it double because I was from Brooklyn and black, but he felt like that. You didn't see him at the power breakfast. He didn't hang out at the Regency. He wasn't a member of those clubs. That's why he wanted to splash his name. And he translated that chip on his shoulder, that resentment, to those blue collar workers in Appalachia and Kentucky because that was really how he felt. The fact that he was a billionaire, if he is, it was us against them. And he felt that. So that's kind of, and, and we can also talk about, uh, well, let's talk about that. And then let's also talk about another part of the book where Trump is calling the New York Post and trying to make them say that he's a billionaire, even yeah. though there were no receipts. Let's just, let's talk about what I just said from Al and then kind of go into well, Trump's you know, I would, Yeah, I would, I would combine what Al says with uh, something that, you know, the evil Steve Bannon told us, which he was trying to explain populism to Trump. And Trump said, yeah, I'm a popularist. And Bannon said, no, 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 you're, you're, it's populism. No, 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 popularist. In other words, Trump studies what is popular. So, and, and then I would combine that with um, Trump telling Bannon that the, it's not a good idea to insult the elites because the the people that Trump's trying to appeal to, the people in Appalachia, et cetera, they want to be elites. They want it, you know, the, the version of being rich that they dream is Trump's version. 
it's not it's not the Bill Gates version where you found a, a foundation and you study diseases. It's the it's the kind no where no medical get, background and wants to vaccinate everyone. The, okay. Well, I'm not sorry. debating Bill Gates, but I'm just saying I'm not either. I'm afraid of him. Well, but exactly. But the point is you're you're engaged in a sort of intellectual conversation with somebody who's you're serious and he's serious. But what the the version of rich that a lot of people dream of is you get to bone models and drive around in big cars and have jet planes. Darling, you so, don't have to be rich to bone models. Well, I, I missed that part of the book, unfortunately. Well, but, you, know, you were in New York in the 90s. Yes, I was. <laughs> we'll save that for another show, the New York in the 90s show. But anyway. So we can talk New York in the 90s too, but, but I, and, and so that's, yeah, I mean, that, that's it. Like Trump, he did that. And he, he also, he understands how to appeal to those people. And he understood, he studied, you know, we, we know from Ivanka, no, Ivana, that Trump had a, a copy of Hitler's speeches, you know, next to his bed. So he has studied how to appeal to the masses through, you know, anti-immigrant, through demonizing the other. I wonder if he uses astrology like Hitler did for his diabolical games. Because Hitler was very much into the occult, you know. I wouldn't. I don't think so. There is a group out there called TWAT, T-W-A-T, which is the Witches Against Trump, and there are often um, simultaneous global um, intention setting to take down the patriarchy and this um, interesting mm -hmm. democracy in which we currently exist. Well, you know, I mean, I guess there's the philosophy that if you rub people's noses in shit long enough, they'll actually want to make a change. So maybe, maybe all this craziness is a harbinger of change. Well, I don't come know. On. You wrote this book. You're a smart guy. They say that. Is, and you're friendly. And congratulations on your engagement. Make an honest man out of you. Yet. Uh, We're going to get married at the ranch. If you, I don't want to. I love horses. I'm. I have to. I'm teetering on the edge of jealousy and um, elation for you. Um, it's okay. Just rub it in. That's I'm that's sorry. how it should. I've be. never been married. You do you. I'm a wedding officiant. Uh, but you at least have people. you've reproduced. I would still like to. You know. Your sperm will be good for so long. Look at Mick Jagger. Okay? I know, but people, women always point out that you know, they, they. How are her eggs? Where is she? Ask her how her eggs are. The light just died for some reason. Okay, we can see beautiful natural light on the ranch there, you asshole. Um, <laughs> Here I am in my rent stabilizer. She's younger than me, so she can still reproduce, and that's the point. Like women always like pointing out that um, the chances of autism go up with older sperm, but like the chances go from like 0.001 to like 0.0012. Yeah, Mick Jagger's got some great kids, and he's been fathering them. He keeps himself in good shape. He does. You have to put nice tight pants on preserves the sperm there in the, in the ball sack. Um, so with all of this flattery, you're smart, you're well-read, you spent a lot of time on this book, getting in touch with these people, using your journalistic prowess to yeah. lure these people in to share <laughs> their uh, personal anecdotes and narratives about this person who surprisingly uh, became the president of the United States. What do you think is going to happen this November with in consideration of the, the P that's going on and the everything else? Uh, 
What are your thoughts? You know, I, somebody that was a great source in the book was Sam Nunberg. And, you know, Sam, I think he's on MSNBC a lot now, but he is a, you know, kind of crazy, um, uh, he understands politics very well. Now, he got hired originally, he got in the conservative movement because he was um, sort of orchestrating that uh, campaign against the Muslim Center near uh, in downtown New York. That they, you know. um, so anyway, what Sam would say, and Sam was very close political consultant with Trump not all the way into the election. They had to get rid of him because some horrible Facebook posts surfaced, you know, racist crap. But um, he correctly pointed out when, we, when I was talking about, well, if a tape came out from The Apprentice where Trump would use the, was actually using the N-word and it was recording and you heard him say it, would that actually make a difference? A lot of people feel like, nothing will make a difference. Nothing seems to stick to Trump, which Rabbi is, Lizzie. yes, it just certainly seems true. He's, you know, he's got this amazing ability to just keep control of the story. Um, even the stuff with Woodward, you know, just, just, it's, it's every Trump headline is not a Biden headline. So that said, what Sam said is that the, the margin was so close last time. He won by so little in so many places that it will take so little for the result to change. So now, obviously, if the economy was going well, an incumbent president has a very good chance of winning. People feel attached to the office. They get used to him. But in my opinion, and I, what I always point out is that The Apprentice, Trump's really most profitable business endeavor ever, um, was only a top 10 hit its first season. Also, went on for back it up for one second, because in the book, it also goes into the failed real estate ventures in Atlantic City and all of these failures that he's out there saying, hey, New York Post, say that I'm a billionaire. Meanwhile, his businesses are collapsing left and right. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, as, as they say, he was... You know, I, and all those those jokes about it, but you know, he was born on third base and ended up on second base or something. You know, so uh, yeah, the the easiest way to make a billion is to start with two billion, or you know, to become a billion, whatever. So, oh yeah, because um, his father gave him what a million dollars to start or something. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and in the end, he inherited like a hundred million, and it, yeah, there's you know, there's all kinds, of, all those New York, great New York Times stories about the taxes and the inheritances, and so. But my, my point is, the people tire of the Trump Act. That has been proven. He is great at reinventing himself, but he tends to not reinvent himself in the exact same business. He sort of has to keep switching businesses. So, you know, he starts out developing properties and he actually, Trump Tower itself was really his most successful thing he built from scratch. And then when he starts um, licensing the Trump name to things, his best investment was a building called uh, 40 Wall Street, which he bought super cheap and uh, has done very well with and has gotten lots of loans again. So my point is, as a TV star, that show got canceled eventually, and it was really only a hit when it started. So I don't think this, the Trump as president act can hold on through one more election. I think he's going to go down. I, I think the, well, the smartest thing I read, you know, and, and, and this is 
partly my education from from you know studying him for so long and doing the book um and seeing that you know my book and others their democrats have studied and they understand now the game he's playing and you've got to keep up with him you've got to knock everything down it's like a you know an old game of missile command where the things keep coming down and you got to keep trying to put your own shields up against it so I think there's more of an understanding about how to meet him and and the game that he plays. Now, Lord knows what he's going to try, you know, and there's all kinds of, you know, then it goes down into all these structural things. Go ahead. This is like a claim to have a vaccine ready before the election, which is preposterous. Um, But do you think people are really eating it up like they were in, in 2016? Because we also had Hillary Clinton, who was an imperfect candidate. I mean, let's be honest. She wasn't really a good choice. Is there any truth to Michael Moore's claims in Fahrenheit 11.9 that that Bernie Sanders actually won the primary in all of these different places? Is that real? Well, I think I think certainly there's a lot to those, you know, and there's there's better Bernie experts than me in, in that primary, but um, <laughs> You know, you, you look at this primary, and if it wasn't for you know one good day that Biden had in South Carolina, he might not be the candidate. And it's it's hard not to believe that you know Sanders might have won in 2016, and and that you know that the establishment clearly wanted Hillary Clinton. And, but you know what? I'm not a Hillary blamer because. If you really look at it, Hillary won the popular vote. So it's a combination of the electoral college being screwed up and not a good system in the modern world of communications, Russian interference, which we know happened. It's been confirmed. It's been Republican Senate committee came out with a report that said it happened. Um, uh, along with the release of those emails right before the election by Comey. So a, a whole bunch of things happened that uh, took Hillary down. And, and if you just have to say that, you know, in, in this world, it's hard to predict what's gonna happen next. I mean, you know, he's, he's let me just throw in one more metaphor. Trump, yeah, talk about Atlantic City, Trump studied boxing and, you know, worldwide wrestling. And he understands that in a, in a boxing match, especially, you fight dirty if you can get away with it. If the ref doesn't pull you apart and doesn't stop you, you know, you hit the guy with your elbows, you know, you try to break his jaw with your elbow, you hit him below the or belt. someone like Mike Tyson did. Well, I but love, he got I disqualified. And I love Mike Tyson, so. But Mike got disqualified for biting Evander Holyfield's ear. And so the referees actually did their job in that fight. Because, oh, and very and Ty- Tyson did it because he, he knew he was going to lose. So um, Trump is fighting like a boxer and trying to you know and by the way naming who becomes the referee of your fight who are the judges of your fight um there's a lot of little things that you can control before you even get in the ring and that's what trump's doing with this shit with the post office trying to mess with the post office with for months trying to tell people that you know mail vote by mail invites fraud he's trying to you know control the game before we actually even get to the start of the fight I just want to let people know that they can, you can um, phone bank for whatever candidate you believe in to be the next president of the United States. Uh, and you can call people and remind them that they can fill out their absentee ballot and drop it off somewhere. So they don't have to put it in the mail. So if you want to make 
a meaningful contribution in your community or while you're on the toilet, which is where, as is uh, pointed out earlier, I get the, the most of my good work done. You can help in that way. It's nonpartisan action. I mean, you can do it for Biden. You can do it for Trump. You can do it for whatever other party has no chance um, in our in our two party system. Um, so I don't. Know, I want to do one more excerpt from the book because it's just so good. That's what we're here to talk about. So you know, I moved in there on the ranch. By the way, I moved into a different. Normally, my congressional district is in Silver Lake, and Adam Schiff is our um, rep. But now I moved into the district that was represented by Katie Hill. Mm. Uh, and now a Republican took that seat in a special election. So there's a very close election coming up now here. So I'm actually going to re-register uh, in where the ranch is so I can my vote will actually count in some way in California. Yeah, I was an independent for my whole life until Valentine's Day of this year when I became a Democrat so that I could be elected to county committee and maybe run for a, a bigger office someday. Uh, so here, Glenn Beck conservative radio and TV hosts. This is from page uh, 262 from the, from the chapter Outwit, Outplay, Outlast. Uh, Glenn says, a couple of years ago, I was on this special diet that had to have certain foods, eight ingredients. It was a pain in the ass given by my doctor. I was traveling to New York and had to bring this chef and all the special ingredients. So I'm trying to find a hotel that would allow my chef to cook. And the only one that would was Trump's hotel, the one on the park. I was supposed to stay a week. I got there on a Friday and I ended up leaving Sunday or Monday because I got a call that my father was dying. So I had to fly out to Seattle and be with him. A couple of weeks later, I get a phone call, Donald Trump. And he said, I noticed that you didn't stay the whole time. Was there a problem with the hotel? I said, oh no, Don, my father had passed away and I had to go. And he said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And I said, while you're on, I wanted to tell you that his chef and his crew, they treated me and the guy who was cooking for me just so well. And I really want, and I was going to say, I really wanted to point them out so you could thank them. He interrupted me and said, well, of course, I only hire the best. And you know, you have a guy like me running a company and a hotel. And he proceeded to go on for like three minutes about how great he was. And I wanted to say, well, Don, you weren't there. Like, maybe it's your hotel, but it was your people that did that, and you should probably say something to the people. But I realized about two and a half minutes into it that he wouldn't have recognized that. I hung up the phone, and I was walking out of my office, and I'm thinking, why did Donald Trump call me about my hotel stay? That's when I stopped. I realized in the hallway, oh my gosh, this guy's going to run for president. How many stories yeah. like this are in the book where people start to put the smart people, I mean, I, whatever, political leanings aside, uh, how many people suddenly realize that he was maybe positioning himself to ingratiate himself with them? Uh, well, you know, such a, it's funny, you know, when you, when you listen to Glenn Beck, who, you know, a lot of people, like you said, would disagree with, but you, you hear him tell that kind of story. And I think that's the beauty of the book. Like he's telling you something that you can listen to because he's not shouting about, you know, anti-immigrant and racist and whatever, whatever. He's actually um, soberly and Glenn is actually sober now um, telling you something very interesting about politics and about how Trump acts. And so the, the frustration that, of the book of my experience with this book 
um, is reflected in your question because it's like people, you can hear Glenn Beck talk about that, but I remember we were interviewed by a New York Times reporter in, in, at our book event in Washington, D.C., and we were talking about the 1999 campaign, the 99-2000 campaign when Trump tries to run uh, as potentially of the Reform Party, which Buchanan ends up becoming their candidate and changing the election. And I just got a call today from Roger Sullenberger at Salon, who's going to do a piece on that. And um, the reporter from the New York Times was still saying, oh, yeah, that campaign that he just did for publicity. He was just trying to get publicity for his brand. And it was like, at what point are you going to accept that Donald Trump was serious about running for president for many years? It that, was since 1986, if memory serves he, correctly. Yes, even before that, uh, the first mention of it publicly is when there's an interview with Rona Barrett, the the great old uh, entertainment reporter that she did with him in Trump Tower in like 81 or something, 82. Oh, and was she, that 87 actually? I don't know, I'm just remembering all 87 is when uh, Rogers, he comes back from Russia <laughs> Uh, his first trip and and Stone, Roger Stone sets him up with a speech in New Hampshire and there's some talk that he's interested in running then. But yeah, so it goes way back. And no, he didn't end up running in 99 when he was, you know, giving interviews about it. He didn't end up running in 08 when he was talking about it. I know, or, wasn't there something with the governor, running for governor in New York? Yes, in 2014. And someone not to because if he lost that race, he'd have no chance to be president. That was in right. 2014. I don't know. I had 2014 to against so. Cuomo. Instead, the Democrats ran Rob Astorino, who none of you have ever heard of. So um, Trump thought, and it was presented to him originally by uh, Michael Caputo, who's a radio host and now I think is working for Trump again, um, and some others that he might run for governor and if he won as governor that would make him the front runner to run for um president but it was pointed out by stone who, who was never in favor of it that if he lost that would mean he couldn't run for president so he was very very serious about potentially running for governor and nobody took him seriously then either and they still and nobody's like gone back except for us as far as i know and a few others us to, me and aaron the author me and aaron yeah and you to uh, seriously consider, you know, and look at how serious Trump was about running for president all these other times. And, and importantly, and what the point of the book is, all the lessons that he learns on that road in, in his little, you know, considerations of running and his sense of timing. He gives an, uh, there's people who talk about, they were on The Apprentice uh, in like 2007, asking and he's asked did you think i'd be a good president did you, think, you know just talking about it it was on his mind constantly and he learned and he learned and eventually he saw his moment and he rides down the escalator in 2015. the escalator the escalator ride seen around the world make sure my phone's not too much um do you have any Favorite. So I know that I said that uh, in transcribing the interviews, uh, my eye was twitching. This doesn't mean that if you read the book, your eye will twitch. It's actually a great book. I was just taking these hours and hours long phone call conversations and making them make sense. Um, do you think that 
this is a valuable. And, you know, and by the way, all, all of your transcripts and all those interviews are going to be sent at some point to, you know, a research institution where people can, I don't, whoever wants them, you know, most likely there'll be a Trump library someday and people who want to study this presidency for better or worse can go there and, and he, you know, and, and they can make something different of all these interviews. It's just raw material people can use. Go on. Well, I do like and appreciate that each of the portions and, and there's so many, I just want to go through some of the names. There, there's so many great, uh, I mean, Joan River, I don't know. Let's see. Where's Joan mentioned in this book? Got Joan? I forgot when somebody talked about, oh, cause she, they didn't get along. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Joan was, they talk about, because she was a competitor on, she hated him for many years, but then uh, she was a competitor on Celebrity Apprentice and found him to be actually quite charming. I mean, look, Joan, is, Joan there's a person there's who a understood lot in here about media. From Rosie O'Donnell, too. Rosie has a Yeah, lot Rosie was really hurt by Trump's, Trump, she was like one of Trump's first victims on Twitter when Trump started tweeting on his own. We have a whole history of Trump and Twitter. Yeah. Oh, well, th that's an interesting part of the, the book, too, is that that was kind of emerging. Social media at that time was um, kind of like reality TV. Dan Minahan, who was a director who directed a few episodes of Six Feet Under, great director, made a movie back in 99, I want to say, called Series 7, The Contenders. And Brooke Smith, is the star and she's the woman in the well in um uh silence of the lamb so and there's some great actors in it actually trump's first wife is in it what was her name ivana no the, then the second one marla maples then the third one melania is the third one. Oh shit no there's another one i think marla maples i'm sure it's marla maples because she marla. wanted to be an actress maybe it was marla the hair anyway uh, what was i going with this so Oh, Series 7, The Contenders, was loosely based on the book The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. And at that time, the only reality TV was cops, the real world, and I think that's it. So when we talk about like a book like this touching base on some of like the, the technology that was just kind of coming about, The Apprentice was one of very few straight up i mean was paris hilton's show on i don't want to bring up her name too much but i guess nicole richie's coming up twice big shout out to nicole simple life i think that was i think that was like 2003 or something and then the osbournes had been on too yeah oh gosh i love ozzy he smells like a cabbage patch doll if you're i've never been that close to him i have he smells like baby powder and angel is he a good was he a good lover i never slept with ozzy okay but because sharon she's got that on lock man okay and also he shuffles. He doesn't pick up his feet. That was a good show. But anyway. He may shuffle his feet, but we don't know what he does with his ass. <laughs> oh, welcome to my nightmare. Um, so my question is, uh, how much of a part did Trump using Twitter as a platform for his positioning once again, in a way, was he innovating using the social media in a way that hadn't been done before? Yes, because what Trump, you know, without getting into the weeds of everything, what Trump, Trump studied media originally through the New York tabloid gossip pages, page six, especially in the New York Post. And what is that except 
um, addictively readable little um, well-worded nuggets um, with its own sort of uh, shorthand, right? Does it still um, have the same value now, though, as the old days? No. Page six, you know. No, it does not have the same, and that's exactly not, it. You did not want to end up on page six. No one Well, you know you that. did. If well, you want, I- It depends on what you do. Right, I put myself on page six to promote stuff myself over the years. I understand. I I worked at that paper, and I used to honestly. This is you know I studied Donald Trump because I knew that um, if if you called from the New York Post to Norma, who was then his secretary in the nineties, and you said I need Donald a quote from him about whatever, you would get Donald on the phone within five minutes. No matter what he was doing or where he was, on the golden and toilet. No, huh? He was on the golden toilet. Sometimes he might have been, and um, he uh, and what happened when he got on the phone that fast? He ended up in the newspaper, and I realized if you want the good things that publicity brings, which is hopefully it helps you sell books and you know get interviewed uh, like this then you better call reporters back super fast, just like Donald Trump does. And I always carry that with me. Um, so, but your point that page six doesn't matter as much anymore is totally true. I mean, first of all, Richard Johnson recently retired, the longtime editor of it. But then secondly, um, social media has taken over. But Trump studied at social media 1.0, which was um, the gossip pages and page six. And so he was ready when he realized that he no longer had to pick up the phone and like uh, schmooze with reporters and give and take a little bit that he could- and he tweets from his toilet. It's actually a fact. I mean, probably right? so. I think it's a fact. I don't, I never, but I do. <laughs> isn't that, wait, isn't in this book? I don't know, there's something about him no. phone calls from the toilet. No, it's, all right. Maybe, listen, maybe, maybe you transcribe that part and it's in there, I don't I know. Don't know. I do know that, that his, when he starts tweeting on his own, when he gets his own phone and he starts to learn how to use it, but before he was calling his staff and saying, well, you send out a tweet on this, a tweet on that, and they'd all discuss it. And then it, they talk about it being like the, um, the velociraptors in Jurassic Park learning to open doors on their own. When they realized that Trump had his own smartphone and he was learning to use it, you know, they were, they were just like, He's learning to tweet. You know, they were just in panic about what was Imagining right now Jane Goodall with the chimps. Well, that's, you know, but that's Trump. He has learned, he, he studied in a certain um, form of media and he's taken what he learned there, which was a great training ground and he's applied it to social media. So that's, that's, the, that's the point. Like, yes, Twitter was great for him because he goes straight to people, but he, he knew what would get attention because he had studied what got attention from some of the greatest attention getters ever made, the, the tabloid news people of New York City, some of whom, you know, studied in, in Australia, you know, under when Rupert Murdoch was first buying all his newspapers. How many people who contributed stories from their personal interactions with President Donnie John have now been indicted, arrested, or are dead. In the book? Um, yeah. Have you ever taken a tally? We... No, but- uh, I mean, we'll obviously Roger Stone, we'll start with the- Yeah. How many are fallen? Let's Bannon, All right? Bannon just got arrested. Um, there's some who are dead. 
Is Epstein mentioned in the book? Yes. He is mentioned actually. And we have great stories from, uh, you know, there's more material than we even had in there, but there's this, there's a whole series of stories about like Trump in the late nineties is this kind of like bachelor, you know, going to some of those places that you and I used to go once in a while when we go, when we were allowed to go in or people we knew went to spy bar and places like that. And, uh, you know, model chasing and, um, and they would all start out at this strip club in the in the twenties, the West twenties, and uh, um, and on that scene, Trump and Epstein and everybody was sort of starting out the night at like ten thirty, eleven at night, and you know watching you know brand name models work the poles along with the strippers and kind of warm up, and then they'd go, you know, do some nose candy and end up at, at other clubs downtown, where Trump was, you know. By the way, drank alcohol. His bartender um, confirmed that to us. I remember that. Yeah, even though yeah. he says at one point he doesn't. He's he's long said he doesn't drink. Yeah. Part of the uh, part of the persona. Oh, what was I gonna say? Twitter strippers, no, 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 Joan no. Rivers. I'm just, I'm just thinking about uh, these guys. Oh, the indicted guys. I mean, I don't. I'm trying to think who else. So there's Epstein. Um, oh yeah, Karen Bernstein is the one who gives. Yes, Karen's a, one of them. Yeah. At Pure Platinum on Twenty First Street. Yes. Basically a strip club. So maybe what was it like? Like Coyote Ugly, where girls would just get up and dance on the bar. Or... That one I didn't go to. I used no, to go no, to other clubs. No, but I wonder if it's basically a strip club. So what? No, that was a strip models? club. Pure Platinum was a strip club. What models? And then of course uh, John Casablanca gets mentioned. Um, the Kit Kat Club. It's funny because I've started watching, we're binge watching Veronica Mars, the series with um, uh, Kristen Bell in it from like 2005 or so. And there's a, there's two characters whose last name is Casablanca. So I keep thinking of Trump's model buddy, John Casablancas. Anyway, go on. No, I'm just uh, trying to think of. It's a good, it's a good quarantine binge watch, a good coronavirus binge watch. Also, I mean, you know, beach reading time is coming to a close, but who doesn't want to read a little something from, from Ralph Nader? Um, we can have some autumn reading. I mean, global warming is real. Do you have any fires there? What's going on um, does, with California? And there's a lot of information going on in the mainstream media and, and even here on DLive uh, about what's happening in, in Northern California specifically, but how's it? No, we have, we have, I woke up, we've, we have, um... The sun is barely poking through, you know, a, a sort of soot colored sky um, where we are. We're sort of east of LA right now. Um, so the famous Santa Ana, hot Santa Ana winds actually start where we are and go towards LA. So a lot of the smoke was being blown away from us. But, you know, it smells like smoke. I, I you know, I haven't felt like going out today because of it, but we're not, there's no ash raining on our house and we're not right now immediately threatened by fires. But, you know, it's also interesting because the, uh, we can't get private fire insurance. We can only get this state plan. So it's like arguably they should just plan. pay us all to burn our houses down. And, yeah. And I mean, we away. live in a flood zone and you can't get flood insurance. So yeah. part of the racket. Um, has there been a president, a standing president, who in their term has experienced so much shit? We've got California on fire for two years now. I mean, this is, everyone says, oh, California's on fire. But he created this shit. Happens. 
but you know, it's actually worse this time around um, from what I can see. We have a, pa a global pandemic with, you know, in the news I heard on NPR yesterday on my drive back, um, he knew that the, of course he knew that the pandemic was dangerous in January, you know, and, um, and then we've got the civil rights movement and um, all of these, right now it's quiet. I mean, do you, so has there been a standing president who's dealt with so much? Shit? Yeah, well, I'll point out that. And also, do you think that, you know, has he talked about, I got it. Can you get, can you get him? Can you interview him now? Come on, let's, let's reprint the book with a forward by Donald Trump. I, it's a thought, you know, I, there's somebody in the White House that I was emailing with during this whole thing, trying to get that interview and we didn't, but. Nothing is bad uh, about him in here. It's all, as you say, it's not partisan. Well, it is bad. If you, I mean, you know, we have him saying the N word, there's a lot of bad stuff, but to answer, I want to answer your question, which is, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a president during World War II, which was pretty fucking bad. And also remember that during that time, there was a there was at least one country in the middle of Europe that was um, systematically exterminating its citizens by the millions, gypsies and the mentally ill and Our Jews. People. Yes, and our people, and well, so. Well, I'm a gypsy witch. All of the things. Who knows? I would so look, brown eyes, brown hair. That's, you know, that was pretty bad. You know, having a country exterminate millions of people deliberately, but, not even like indirectly, but you know. The economy as bad comparatively. Well, it it was actually. It was actually helping the U.S. You still economy. Had manufacturing and industry at that time. Well, it helped. It took the U.S. out of the the, the depression. Got, which is what government spending can do. And it's what the Democrats are arguing we need to do now, just spend, spend, spend to get us out of this situation. But, you know, a lot of what's happening, Trump created or, or the principles that Trump stands for created. You know, he took us out of the Paris Climate Accord. Well, the reason the fires are so bad, not that this has happened in the last four years, but I mean, obviously every little bit we can do would help, but the, the fires, the reason the season's so bad is climate change. It's, it's, it's conclusive. The reason that the fires are burning in Oregon like they never have is climate change. The hot, hot winds coming from the wrong direction than they ever have before. So you bring up this really important point. Uh, he pulled out- and, and obviously the, sorry, the pandemic, the amount of deaths, that's, you know, Trump's fault, some of it. Um, what do you think of him? And he disassembled the office that was supposed to, you know, That's give us early Pulling warning. us out of the World Health Organization. The pull out and pray. Oh, Trump yeah. likes to pull out and pray, everyone. So, and pray on everyone. But uh, pulling out of all of these protective measures, and we could talk about, you know, Dr. Anthony, too, uh, and this. It's so funny because, like, Dr. Anthony and Donnie John are, like, at odds. Cuomo and de Blasio are like mom and dad. I'm living through my divorce with my parents again. You know, like they're just not getting along. Um, Americans, maybe people around the world, I only know mostly Americans. Um, and I don't know the metric system. So uh, I don't have a lot to talk about with my European friends. So what in the world, like how are these people able to... Why, why are people really leaning so much on like Dr. Anthony F 
you know, like they're in, in Cuomo as leaders, like people are saying like Cuomo sexual, they're looking at Cuomo like he's the president. Do you think he's going to go for it next? I mean, de Blasio is a joke right now. And I don't know, we have a, a mayoral race next year, 2021. De Blasio, is, de Blasio got elected because he's tall and he has an African-American wife. I mean, we, everyone knows that. And I heard she used to be a lesbian, which makes me more. I don't know about that, but I'm just, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's just. On her right hand, that's how you check. It it was, it was a, you know, a profile and and the New York mayoral race is such a short thing. The primary doesn't happen until September. It's like, it's crazy how you, it basically, if you just can have one good week, you can win that race. And that's what happened with de Blasio, who was clearly not up to the job, but, um, this is, uh, this is a lot for any leader <laughs> to have to deal with, you know. And yeah, I but Delazio wasn't dealing with any of it before any of this. And no. Cuomo, Cuomo is a very smart politician who, um, you know, the reason Trump didn't run against him was because Trump didn't think he could beat him. So I don't know how to answer your question. I mean, I, I guess. People are looking towards some kind of beacon of leadership hope. And, and today... Being 9-11, I think it's fair to remember, um, not only, and all joking aside, uh, the horrors of not only that day, but the weeks and months following, um, and years, and even now, 19 years later, uh, I'm sure tonight when I see those lights on, I'll... I don't know that they're doing the lights this year. They are. It was a big thing. Oh, okay. Um but what I'll say is that I lived on Minetta Street and on McDougal Street, there was the McDougal Street Ale House. And I'd go there to the bar. I was what, 21 years old or 20 years old? 21. And um, George W. Bush would be on the television set. And he looked like, you know, he's sitting there, the evildoers and like he had a hand up his ass. It's like he's one of Jim Henson's creations. And then you'd feel scared. I'd feel scared. I'm just being in the bar. But then in contrast, Giuliani, Giuliani got on there and he told it to the people in a way that was digestible, straightforward, and honest. And when Rudy Giuliani said, go out and fuck a firefighter and say, thank you for their hard work and their loss of 343 lives on 9-11, I, my duty as I, hold on. Did you? Come on. Just because we're talking about him. Michelle, I don't know if you can see. There's a the young Giuliani. There's a young me and, and Rudy on a date. Look at his uh security detail in the background there. She's jealous. Jealous. Yeah. Well, no, I think your I think your point well, about I Giuliani. Point I, is, gonna, yeah. yes. I felt better. Everyone felt better. Yeah. hearing Giuliani speak in contrast to the standing uh, commander in chief, because it was a, they looked like they weren't capable of doing it. So is that what's happened? But in a more, everyone compares 9-11 to COVID-19 and it does have some similarities, but this is like the stretched out taffy version of trauma, like a traumatic event, right? So there's more conditioning, there's more exposure to these. Uh, but Giuliani, but, to, and this is, now Giuliani now and Giuliani in the Ukraine. I'm not talking about that Giuliani, but but the Giuliani in the '90s, um, who was not very well liked by the by the t- right before 9/11. He was his approval ratings were very low. But 
he understood that conflict um, attracts media and gets people going and, and attracts political um, capital, brings you it. And so he would just name people and attack them in the press. And he was a guy who reporters liked working with because he would say stuff and go after people. And, and conflict is, makes a story. That's what stories are. Without conflict, there's no stories. And so the press covers when a politician attacks somebody. And so de Blasio should have studied a little bit about from Giuliani, not the, you know, the policies and the, you know, everything else that he had problems with. But, um, you know, Giuliani was probably, unfortunately, <laughs> the right mayor at the right time for a city that needed, you know, something to jolt it out of a lot of problems. And to, so, um, so I think, and, and I think now? that New York, I think that New York fighting confront straight on, hey, fuck you, right? That, okay, that you get because you're on the street every time and there's people in your face and, hey, well, you know, and you know how to go right to a fight and then right back and that very daily lawyerly tra training to do so. What is de Blasio's background? He's not an arbitrator. He's not a. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just. What I'm comparing him to is Cuomo, because Cuomo yes. understands that that but way Cuomo of fighting. Giuliani, as De Blasio is to whom? David Patterson. Okay. Right, a caretaker, a governor who made the least of his opportunity. Right when when Spitzer resigned, mm -hmm. I was thinking about Spitzer this morning because I covered that that first campaign of his uh, for the New York Post. And, um, you know, I always, Terry Priston covered it for the New York Times. So we were on that campaign trail together in 99. And I always got, we, we did a little, we, we covered it, but Spitzer did this financial sleight of hand with some condos that his dad owned that he was able to take a loan against to get funds for his campaign. It was really an illegal move. And he just didn't get his feet held to the fire enough because, because I think reporters hated the opponent, Dennis Vacco, so much that they didn't want to hold him his feet to the fire. And then years later, you see that allowing him to get away with that one little shortcut um, shows he had a character defect that leads him to you know be seeing prostitutes while he's governor. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Right. So that anyway, that and that going back to Trump and Atlantic City, you know, the best theory I've heard is that Trump was probably an informant against the mafia, uh, you know, for law enforcement. And that explains why he got approved as a casino owner, even though he really should have been disqualified because of his connections to organized crime. Um, blah, 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 blah. Well, no, I mean, I'm, I have to say I'm pro sex worker and I think. It's fine so that what? you did that. It's too bad that uh, prostitution and sex work is criminalized to the extent it is. I mean, look at uh, this. That's a perfectly time. fine I'm argument. Just, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But um, Donald John Trump. If Bill Clinton had, you know, had the option to go pay for blowjobs, which, you know, while president, which is a very stressful job, maybe, you know, he'd be remembered more fondly. I have to say something about Monica Lewinsky. Monica Lewinsky, if, if folks who watch this replay or folks are on live, um, go to see her TED Talk. Don, uh, Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk is actually really good. 
And yeah, it talks about cyberbullying, which is just all I'm doing on this uh, show now. It's just bullying everyone cyberly, but cyborg. But um, I really think that he took advantage of her and using his power in this white male patriarchal way, which as a young woman, uh, at least myself working in media, the things I had to deal with, um, which really didn't come to light and to front of mind until the Me Too movement, until, um, you know, some really surprising, like Louis C.K. And not that it's surprising, because Louis C.K. always talked about like what a schmuck he was, right? But, you know, re remembering in the early 2000s, like the oh, gross stuff, the boners and khaki pants, you know, someone trapping me in their office, showing me their erection and you know, just really inappropriate stuff and having no one to talk to about it, being a female identifying young person. Um, but the whole thing about Trump, I have to ask you is, people think he has dementia. Did you and I ever talk about syphilis? That maybe he has syphilis? Have you heard anything about that? What's going on with I've him? I've heard that. Did I've he heard all that. I... Act? What's going on with him, in your opinion? I mean. My opinion is he, he does not have dementia. He's exactly, he's just, he's a little older. So he rambles a little more than he did before, but listen to the interviews with Woodward. That's, he's perfectly cogent. And if you, the problem is the media, I, I don't want to blame the media, but the problem is many of us, what we get of Trump, because we can't bear to sit and watch an hour and a half of speech of his, is we get these clips of highlights that make no, the sound like he's making no sense at all. I always go back to, and I have a, a piece coming out in Los Angeles Magazine in the October issue, which is going to be the cover story. It'll be out in two weeks, and it's about presidential impersonators. And in there, I mentioned this little anecdote, which I was watching a press conference in the White House a year and a half ago or so, and it was African-American uh, teenagers, high school students um, visiting the White House. And Trump has given a little welcome to them. And of course, in Trump's mind, he has to mention Abraham Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln freed the slaves, right? Oh, he freed you people, right? So that's Trump thinking. So um, he's talking about Lincoln and he says, yeah, honest Abe, honest Abe. I wonder how honest he really was. Then he goes on to something else, right? And it's like, what the fuck is he talking about? What, you know what he's talking about? If you know him and you think about it, he's talking about an advertising slogan, a two word sobriquet um, to describe a person that w that is one of the most successful presidential advertising campaigns ever because we still think of him as honest Abe, okay? And so Trump who calls, you know, lion Ted Cruz and on and on, crooked Hillary, he knows it doesn't matter if these things are true. It doesn't matter if she's crooked or not. It's just a, it's a thing that can catch on You're and fired. fits in and right. And fits in with what people think a little bit. And so it all makes sense. And so my point is you just hear him like, what is he talking about? Honestly, like there's a million things in Trump talking that um, add up. If you really listen and you think about what he's trying to say, I don't think he has dementia. 
Honestly, I'll tell you something else. The whole thing with the woman, man, blah, 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 you know, the memory test thing. That sounds like a hard test. I wouldn't want to have to do that test. If you listen to, oh, in the middle, they say they make you repeat it again. It's like, if you really listen to what he's saying, it makes sense. I'm sorry. Now, again, this is my whole thing about him. He doesn't have to be, now, is it crazy to be using fascist techniques and to risk our democracy, okay? That may be crazy. What he believes may be crazy, okay? That he's willing to use these techniques to get what he wants is reckless and is, is, is ignorant in, in thinking that everything somehow will, will we won't, uh, the consequences won't be worse in the end for what he's doing um, that because he thinks this is going to lead to something good because he believes in what his policies are. That may be crazy, but Trump is doing what he intended to do as president and he's doing it in a way that nobody else has done it before. And you, and I, I don't like his policies. Okay. I don't like his judicial appointments or anything else, but that I don't have to, I can disagree with him without calling him demented. Can't we all just get along? Oh, Donnie John. I'm just trying to pull one more. All right, then we have to wrap it up. Yeah, we do. I have, I have well, yoga. At 5, 5.30, 1.30, 2.30. Yeah. Okay, so here's what we'll do. One down uh, dog yoga in LA. Great, great um, I guess I can throw, I'm going to, I don't know, people. Read one more thing from the book. They can see the chat. Um, so I want oh, to I link the link to the book in the chat. What are, where's your copy? I know I should be holding it up. I, I was running around looking for it and I didn't have time to grab it because I'm in this, I'm in the ranch. It's not where it normally is. Tell me your favorite part of uh, the book. What, what was the, what was the moment where you got up and like danced around in your seat? Like, yeah, I can't believe I fucking got that. Or. I like the, the acknowledgements part where we thank you. <laughs> oh, um, um, the thing I, I can't believe we got one, uh, two of the fa my favorite things are the guy who helped Trump choose his soundtrack, um, and why, and Trump explaining why he likes certain songs. Um, for instance, um, the, he wanted to have a Rolling Stones song when he comes out to give a speech. And this guy, Justin, who was working with him at the time says, yeah, start me up. That's a really good thing to come out to. He's like, I don't like that song. That was one of their later. I like you can't always get what you want. Yeah, but that's not a political. I don't care. I like that song. Because he under it, it moves him in a certain way. There's some intu intuitive thing where he thinks it doesn't matter. You can't always get what you want. That's not who wants to. So I don't want you, you know, like. What is that? But he, that's how he chooses. So I love that, his, his choosing of songs. And there's a, there's a whole story about Neil Young coming to the Trump Tower to try to like get money from, from Trump to start his um, music streaming service, Pono. Um, and then there's another thing that I really like, which is um, from one of Trump's books where he quotes Carl Jung. And he talks about, you know, losing yourself in the persona, losing your true self in the persona that you put out to the world. I think it's very almost insightful about himself. Whether he even wrote that chapter in the book, I don't know. Does he write? Carl Young was a yeah. famous psychoanalyst. I know who Carl. Oh, fuck off. 
And talk about persona that. versus person. I, I learned that working with Alice Cooper. So here's my favorite part of the show because we're all stuck on earth. One of the greatest things we can do as- Is anybody uh, chatting us? Uh, some people, Adam says, Glenn Beck seemed to be moving a bit away from the extreme yes. rights until his company started losing money and listeners. Someone was That's laughing true. about- But I think, Glenn also, I think Glenn also changed personally a little bit. He, he got sober and he's, he's a little calmer than he was. Yeah, we are completely different people every seven years when our cells and our bodies change. That's why I like, I like onions now, who knew? So the favorite part of my show, uh, Stuck on Earth, here we're stuck together now we're really stuck because uh we have to survive this presidential election but i got a scratch off ticket from the bodega and if whatever i win i'll buy that many copies of your book and i will distribute them to uh anyone okay. you want so let's see what is scratch nine spots what's the maximum we could win on this ticket i don't know Let's see if we I, yeah, the most I've ever won on a scratcher, and I haven't bought many over the years, is I think twenty-five dollars. Get three sevens in any row, column, or diagonal and win. Oh no! Oh. Hold on. By oh. the way, you went into a bodega and bought that? I did before, just before, like uh, right before we got on. All right, we didn't win. Do you want to know what it would have been? No. Okay, I'll find out. Cause I'm a bitch. Oh, $700. It would have been $700 with the books that we could give to uh, the 100. You don't think? Give them this... to the 114,000 homeless children living in New York City now. They need this book. You know what? In 2012, I made a Facebook status update that said, as of today, there are 12,000 homeless children living in New York City. As of today, September 11th, 2020, there are 114,000 homeless children living in New York. We're in deep shit. But if you stay tuned to my show, you'll see me talking to perhaps the next mayor. I have a lot of interesting people in the contacts in my phone, and I'm going to bring them on here, and we're going to talk about some things. So, Alan, one right do you have any here. closing words? I'm so grateful. Thanks for uh, coming here on the fly and, you know, not wearing pants with me. You know, something that one one similarity between 9/11 and this situation is, you know, in the in the week following 9/11, I slept with two ex-girlfriends, and a lot of people um, didn't just do that; they actually like decided, you know what, I'm going to get married to my girlfriend, or I'm going to like people made a lot of life decisions because they saw that life could be cut short. Like quickly. having sex with firemen to say thank you and I'm sorry. And the the, uh, the city's bravest, thank you for your, again, back to the original, your, the things that you do pantsless. So. Um, Presumptuous of you that I would take my pants off for them, but. Okay, I think that's what you were saying. I'm just trying to interpret what you were saying. No, I don't mean to like, okay. I'm not trying to like get in the. It's just a glimmer of a memory from 19 years ago. You know, sounds like it was I mean, a pleasant in all seriousness, What a, you know, 19 years of a, uh, it's just a crazy, it's a crazy experience, but go ahead. What are the similarities? It is very hard to believe that was that long ago. So, and, and so people made big decisions and changed their lives and, you know, chose their dream careers and stopped chasing money. And there was a lot of good that came of that in that way. And I'm sitting here on some crazy ranch that I bought, you know, in the wake of, um, you know, using, you know, like money from every possible little, you know, 
puddle that I could find to scrape it together to make this thing happen. I don't know if this is going to work, but like, you know, what the hell? Who knows what's going to happen? Well, so, in closing, uh, I my, motto, my motto for uh, Stuck on Earth is, hey, you only die once. Buy the fucking ranch. Sleep with a firefighter. You know, eat the ice cream. Buy a car. Do whatever it is. Do the thing. My friend Dan, get on a plane, fly to the Hamptons, and do a spinning class. Whatever you want to do, do it. And, and try to be around people who make you feel good in the process, you know? And thanks, Alan, for making me feel good today and for sharing the new cover of the book. And hopefully... Um, See, look, I should have been facing this way the whole time. I have natural light on my okay, face. Okay, strike that. We'll take it from the top. Look how much better I look. My imaginary producer team here, which is really just like a shaky snow globe and a... Why wasn't I doing this? Dark okay. full of tip pens. Um, Alan, thank you so for having me. It's on. been an honor. Yeah. You know, anytime you want to come back on and talk about something, uh, do you have anything besides the LA magazine piece about, uh, presidential impersonators? I have some great TV show things in the works that I can't discuss yet. Okay. And, uh, if we want to come on and talk about some of your other books, uh, that might be fun too. Food you network, alansalkin.com. Alansalkin.com. Folks, yeah, we can't say ladies and gents anymore, so we'll say folks. Uh, live long and prosper there out, out there on your Star Trek ranch and uh, have a great weekend. And, uh, you know, just want to say in memory of uh, Candace Williams, Keith Roma from Fire Patrol 2, um, Christian Regenhard, Chris Blackman, and uh, any of the other folks who you know or might have lost on 9 11 and uh, for their memory today, have a drink, light a candle just take a couple of minutes to reflect about how lucky we are to be here and be able to have this conversation today and to be able to um, practice our right to vote. So please make sure you call in your friends, make sure they vote and um, don't blow anything up unless it's a Trump building. <laughs> and definitely not your toilet from a burrito. All right. I love you. You Bye, too. Alan. Hey, have bye. fun with yoga. Thank you.